Bibles this morning and then turn to John chapter 11, please. John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is mostly about uh, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Most of the chapter is taken up with that story. And we're going to be in chapter 11 for a few weeks, I'm sure. And we'll not read all of this narrative right now. Uh, Most of you probably remember or know uh, how it goes. But I do want to draw your attention, though, to just a handful of verses um, in the middle of this chapter. Um, because there's a particular uh, topic or subject that I want to address this morning, and the prayer is that it will be helpful to you. I don't know always why uh, I sense a certain direction or to go a certain way, uh, but the Lord does, and so um, there might be someone or a few here today who who really need this, uh, what the Word of God has for us today by way of encouragement and challenge. So I want to draw your attention to verse 19. And the Bible says, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So their brother had died. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I'm going to stop right there and ask this question as we get going here this morning. How many of you have a tendency to doubt? Go ahead, you can be honest, you can raise your hand. You're not going to be the only one in the room, I'm sure. Okay, so several of you admit the fact that you have a tendency to doubt. And, and sometimes um, we, we get into, we all, all have maybe that tendency at some point to doubt the validity of something. Um, I think you probably have seen lots of these as well. You might get a text message or you might get see something on social media, you know, that says, oh, if you just do this or you just, you know, respond here, then then you can lose 700 pounds if you take this one product. You know, that kind of thing. And everyone's like, mm, yeah, right. That's a scam. We all, we all have seen those kinds of things, and we might have a tendency to doubt those kinds of things, especially if something seems too good to be true, right? And we see in this case here where... where Martha came to the Lord and, and she said, Lord, if, if, my bro- if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he said, your, your brother's going to rise again. And her response was, well, Lord, I know that he's going to rise again in the last day. 
But what Jesus was talking about was the fact that he was going to raise him from the dead, and he could do it. And Jesus asked her this question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I think, like I said, sometimes there's a tendency to doubt the validity of things, especially when something seems too good to be true. How about when it comes to discerning what the will of God is in your life? Do you doubt? I think we don't necessarily always see the clear picture of things. And so when we don't see the clear picture of things, uh, like God could be moving in a particular direction. You'd be like, is the Lord really moving me to do this? What I'm saying is it's often our tendency to doubt when it comes to the things of God because God is miraculous. God is powerful. God wants to do amazing things and powerful things or God wants to lead in a certain direction in our life and we don't always see what that is and it requires faith. And that is why sometimes there's a tendency to doubt because it requires faith. There's lots of examples in the Bible of people who doubted God, like Abraham and Sarah, for example. God promised to give them a son, and out of him he would make a great nation that the sands of the sea you know, could not even number and all of those things. That was a promise given by God, who cannot lie. Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of that promise right away. In fact, it was a promise given in a, in a, in a particular situation that, that seemed really impossible. Sarah was past childbearing years. But how many times, even though Abraham believed God, how many times did Abraham try to help God with the fulfillment of that promise? By his actions, right? He made some mistakes along the way. What caused that? What caused him to act that certain way or those particular ways? It was the fact that at somewhere along the line, he probably had some doubt because he hadn't seen the fulfillment of the promise yet. In Martha's case of raising Lazarus, she said, I know that you'll raise him in the last day in the resurrection, but is it possible that that could happen now? How about even John the Baptist? Do you remember John the Baptist had some doubts? He was the forerunner of Christ. He was sent of God. He was the one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way for the Lord. And then he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was so confident of who Jesus was. And yet, when John the Baptist was thrown into prison, he said... Are you the one, or do we look for another? Where was that? Where was the guy who was crying out and telling everybody, Behold the Lamb of God, look to him. I'm not even worthy to lose his shoes. He was so confident. Right? But then later on in his life, there were circumstances that brought him to the place where he said, are you the one? What I'm saying is that doubt is a human tendency. It's not something that, that, that uh, is unusual. And at some point, 
we can be so confident about a certain thing, but later on have mixed feelings about it and be doubting. I want to talk to you this morning about this subject of dismantling doubt. There's another example that I want to draw your attention to. Look over in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we find here, go to the end of the chapter, verse 36. We find here that Jesus appears to the disciples. He had been crucified. He had been in the tomb. He's now risen from the grave, and He's appearing to His disciples. Jesus had told them many times before that the Messiah was going to be killed. He was going to be cut off. He would be crucified, but He's going to rise again. Jesus had told them that. We get to verse 36, and the Bible says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet." that it is I myself, handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ. That word behooved means necessary. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the, uh, the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. What we find here in this section is that the disciples are actually drowning in doubt. They're full of doubt. They're filled with it. Uh, we look at the scene here. Jesus comes uh, and, he, and he speaks to them and he shows himself to them. But, but what's really important to look at is what happened right before this. Go back to verse 33. The Bible says, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven together and, and them that were with them, saying... The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Now what is that talking about? That's talking about the two men who were on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? And we can read back in this chapter how these men, uh, Jesus had been crucified, he'd been put in the grave. It was the third day. These men were, uh, were, were walking to Emmaus, to their home, and Jesus joins himself to them, and he begins to talk, uh, talk to them. If you look back just a little bit, <clears throat> verse 17, And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one with another as ye walk and are sad? 
Notice the, that phrase, and are sad. Why were they sad? They were sad because this man that, was the, that they thought to be the Messiah, the one that they put their hopes and their dreams in, had been crucified. He's dead and he's in the grave. He's also the one, though, who said, I'm going to rise again. Did they believe that? If they really believed it, they wouldn't have been sad as they walk along the way. They're doubting. Jesus says, what are these communications that you have as you walk in are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Haven't you been around? Don't you know what's happening? It's the buzz everywhere. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Notice how they... Notice what their description of him is. They believe, like, oh, this was Jesus. He was a prophet. He was mighty indeed. He did, he did miracles. He was of God. Uh, the scriptures spoke of him. And how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And then they go on and talk about how there were some women who went to the tomb, the sepulcher, and they didn't find his body and so on. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And this is great. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And the Bible tells us that these men, once they recognized who Jesus was and their eyes were open, their comment on that or their, their feeling about that was, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us, by the way? Like, there was something so compelling about that. And I, I tell you that to, to describe what happened right before Jesus appeared to the disciples. He had this meeting with these men, and then the Bible tells us that in verse 33, those men rose up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven together and them that were with them, and they said, the Lord is risen indeed. We know this. And he's appeared to Simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread and prayers. And now note this, verse 36. And as they thus spake, as they were telling of this amazing thing and how confident they were, boom, Jesus appears right in the middle of them. Now, are you following that scene? I'm wondering if they're like, if they were starting to get super excited. Like the, the women said that Jesus wasn't there. And you guys are saying that you saw him and you know it, that it's really Jesus. I'm wondering if they're starting to get excited here about the fact that the Lord is really alive. And Jesus says, peace be unto you. But notice the very next words. But they were terrified and affrighted. And to suppose that they had seen a spirit. 
And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Verse 36 says that while they were telling this, Jesus stands in the midst of them. Verse 37 says they were terrified, they were afraid. In verse 38, Jesus reads their thoughts, and he says, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your heart? The word troubled means to stir up. It means to be agitated. Why are you agitated here? What is, like, something's bothering you. You ever felt that way when you start to have doubts about certain things? Like, you're troubled, you're agitated, something's not right in your spirit. The word thoughts here, why do thoughts arise in your heart? This is literally what it means. It means doubtful imaginations. That's pretty key. Because a lot of times when we start to doubt things, it's because we make things up in our minds that aren't actually true, that feed the doubts that we're feeling and the fears that go along with it. The point I'm trying to make here is that these disciples were drowning in doubt. They were just rejoicing, probably, over hearing the news of the men on the road to Emmaus, these men were sharing with them how Jesus really is alive. And Jesus stands in the midst of them, and immediately they're right back to doubting. They were all over the place. You ever felt like you've been all over the place? Emotionally, mentally? Sometimes you're so confident. Other times you're just like, ugh. By the way, I'll, I'll be honest with you, because I've tried to be as honest with you all the time. I don't, I don't lie to you. <laughs> I'm not any different than you are. I definitely have feelings of doubt sometimes. And other times, because of my ESTP personality, I am overly confident. <laughs> Sometimes I'm up and down and all over the place. And I suspect that you are too at different times. Before we move on or to something different, I think it's important that we define doubt. Let's talk about that for a second because it's imperative that we understand what this is. There's a lot of people who believe that doubt is the opposite of faith. So we talk about sometimes doubt happens, especially where faith is required in our life, because we don't see the whole picture. And sometimes people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. Like if you are doubting in this moment and not living by faith, that you're just, you're living in sin. That's not always true. That's not the case many times. The opposite of faith is actually unbelief. And unbelief and doubt are different things. They're not the same thing. Doubt comes from the root word from where we get our English word double from. And James chapter 1 gives us a really good understanding of that. James 1, 6 tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
To be double-minded simply means to vacillate, all right? And so doubt isn't always sin. Doubt isn't the same thing necessarily as unbelief. Here's a helpful definition of doubt. When you believe, you are in one mind and accept something as true, all right? So I am confident. I believe. I accept this as true. Unbelief is to be of one mind and reject something as true. To doubt is to waver between the two. To believe, but to disbelieve at the same time. It's not always a sin to doubt. Perhaps some think that is the case, but doubt doesn't necessarily show a total absence of faith. Our faith can be weak, but not totally absent. And I think an example of that is Mark chapter 9, in verse 24, where you remember the father who had the demon-possessed son? And the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And the, the father was, he was like confident that they could. And that's why he, or at least thought that they could. That's why he brought his son to them in the first place. And when they couldn't do it, it caused some doubts in his mind and doubts in his heart. And when Jesus came around and Jesus could do it, he says, do you believe that? And he says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. There's some times when That's the case for us. Doubt can be vacillating, but not total unbelief. And it's our fallen and fluctuating emotions so often that make us prone to doubt. It's the things that we think. It's the the thoughts. It's the doubtful imaginations that come into our hearts and our minds and our fluctuating emotions that make us prone to doubt. The disciples were emotionally all over the chart at this point. And just before Jesus appears to them, they're probably excited at least listening to these guys saying that the Lord is risen indeed, and He's appeared to Simon. But the moment that Jesus steps into the room, they're afraid and they're troubled and they're doubting. Even when they saw Jesus' hands and his feet, they were joyous. But the Bible says they believed not for joy. They, were, like, they still were like in awe of this. I, I, is this really real? You understand? It was their joy over the moment that actually was hindering their faith in that point. They were just on an emotional roller coaster. But you know what? Many Christians live that very same way. They live the very same way. There are times, sometimes I live that way too. And listen, there there are times when I talk with people, they come and they'll maybe share their burden or share their troubles. And I'll listen for particular words of how they talk, what kind of things they're saying. And I look, I listen for feeling words. For example, like, well, I used to feel so good about this. I used to feel this way. Or I used to feel like like I was so close to the Lord. I felt like Jesus was near, but I don't feel like God is near. Or I don't feel that way anymore. Listen, I listen for those words on purpose because it's an indicator. Usually that people are living by their feelings in the moment. 
and their emotional state, not facts. You know what I've discovered? It's really hard (laughs) when you get into a place where you actually have to take your own advice that you give out to other people. (laughs) Wait, what? Many Christians live that way. You know what? Feelings, good feelings, are wonderful. We would all agree with that. And God wants us to have them. We wouldn't have emotions that way if it wasn't something that the Lord gave to us. But the foundation for our faith is not our feelings. But in the facts of God's Word concerning His Son, Our feelings, you know this, our feelings will invariably fluctuate. (laughs) It just is a fact of life. And whenever I find myself in those times, man, I have a rotten attitude sometimes. And I know it's my feelings. I know it's my attitude. And I know even in my head probably what is true. And sometimes you just got to, you know, kick yourself in the pants. Like, suck it up. Get over this. But other times that's not how it works. Our feelings are going to fluctuate. And who knows all the reasons we feel up one day or down the next. It could be stress factors going on in our life. And it's a good thing to try to remove stress factors. It is. It could be we're overly tired. It could be that we're burned out. Who knows all of the reasons why we feel up one day or down the next. But listen, here's the principle and here's the thought. We cannot allow ourselves to live solely by our feelings. Christians have to live by faith in the facts of God's unchanging word. And until we get back to that point, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer with the wrong attitude and the wrong feelings. We've got to be careful because our fallen nature makes us like the disciples, prone to unbelief regarding the things of God. All the men in that room, every one of them had believed in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Every single one of them had. And yet, they were still struggling with doubt regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it shows us that believers need to fight against the tendency to doubt or to unbelief as well. Now, I wanted to lay that whole foundation because what I really want to get to is how the Lord deals with them. How the Lord ministers to them and how He helps them through this situation, through this time of doubt. And I see out of here how gentle the Lord is with them and how he gently works with us to lead us to a place of full assurance and full faith as well. These are going to be some hopefully helpful principles for you. Uh, I know they are for me in those times, and I don't know what's happening in your life, but maybe there's something that's going on in you as well. There's some good truth here that can lead us from that place of doubt or the emotional roller coaster that it can so often be into a place of security. So I want you to notice there are three things 
in this passage and how the Lord deals with his disciples. And we'll consider those after we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take your word here and challenge us with it and encourage us with it. And Lord, I pray that you cause us to grow from it, that your will might be done. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, look in verse 36, the second part. What I find here that Jesus gives peace in spite of their failures. Verse 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said unto them, or saith unto them, Peace be unto you. He gives peace in spite of their failures. Now, some might say, well, peace be unto you was a common Jewish greeting. And that is true, it is. But in these circumstances, surely this means a whole lot more than just a simple hello or a simple greeting. I think Jesus easily could have been angry with these men. If you think back to all of the happenings before this point, Jesus could have been angry with them for deserting him when he was in an hour of need. They went to the garden and Jesus said, watch and pray. What did they do? They all fell asleep. When the soldiers came and arrested Jesus, they all ran like chickens. We don't read of all of them sticking around when Jesus was crucified. There were some. But we don't read of all of them just like, right around Jesus in full faith and so on. He could have been angry with them at some point because of their failings. And he does rebuke them for their doubts. But what we find here, it seems like Jesus' tone is so very gentle and so very gracious. He says, peace be unto you. He extends to them peace because he wants to lead them to a full assurance of faith. He extends to them peace and offers peace even even though he knew what their past was. The Lord knew the disciples' past. He knew how weak their faith was. How many times did he say, O ye of little faith? Like the time that Jesus fed the, the thousands and thousands of people. And immediately after that, they're in a boat going across the sea and a storm comes up and they think they're going to die. And Jesus is right there. Did you forget what just happened? An amazing miracle. And they're like, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? Haven't you ever felt like that? Said maybe those words to the Lord too. (laughs) He offers them peace even though he knew their past. How little faith they had. He knew that they fell asleep in the garden when they should have been praying. He knew how they deserted him. And they fled. He knew of all the other times that they were wavering in their faith. He knew that they had doubted the testimony of the women who went to the tomb and said he was not there. And yet Jesus still chose them, knowing full well what their past was. They were all sinners. They had all sinned repeatedly, even after the Lord called them to Himself. And yet here He comes in the middle of all of their turmoil and all of their doubt and all of their failures, and He still says, peace be to you. But let me say this to you. The Lord knows all about our past as well. And He knows all about our attitude problems 
and he knows all about our failings, and he extends to us his peace and his forgiveness anyway. Listen to David extol God's mercies. In Psalm 145, 8, he says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. That's the kind of God the Lord is. In our times of doubt, in our times of failings, listen, the Lord, the Lord is offering us some peace in spite of our failures. When He could easily be very mad at us, the Lord wants to lead us and build us to a place of greater faith in Him. Secondly, the Lord offers peace even though He knew their present doubts and fears. He also could read the disciples' thoughts. The Bible tells us that He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubtful imaginations arise in your hearts? In spite of that, He gently extends His peace to them to lead them to faith. And you know what? You and I, we might have a terrible past. We might have made some awful mistakes in our past. Even after we professed faith in Christ, we might be struggling even right now through some trials in our life and causing, that's causing us to have some doubts and, and some fears. But in spite of the Lord's many mercies to us that we often forget, right? We're still doubting. We're still fearing in spite of those things. Jesus knows our every thought, and yet He wants to extend peace into our life. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 4. Just keep your place here. And look at Hebrews chapter 4. I'm glad that the Lord is gracious. I'm glad that the Lord is merciful with me. I'm glad that He wants to extend and offer peace in the middle of my storm, in spite of who I have been and the mistakes that I have made, and even the present troubles, I'm glad that He is tender and merciful and gracious. Sometimes, sometimes I want to I just kick myself in the seat of the pants. Other times I want somebody to baby me. And don't you understand and feel sorry for me in my situation? Sometimes I want to deal with people like that. I'm just going to kick them in the seat of the pants. You need to just suck it up. That's not going to be helpful for them in that situation. And they need some mercy and they need some grace. See, the Lord does that for us. Hebrews 4, in verse 13, the Bible says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right after telling us that all things are open and laid bare before the Lord's eyes, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to draw near to the Lord with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, what I'm saying is we need to let the abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ lead us through those doubting heart times 
to places of repentance and then to greater and fuller assurance of the Lord in faith. It is God's grace being offered to us. That's why he says, peace be to you. Because he's gracious. Now, I said here that the Lord offers them peace knowing their past and knowing their failures. But Jesus goes beyond that. And the Bible tells us that Jesus gave them solid evidence to base their faith on. The Lord doesn't... Listen, go back to our text. I'm going to show you this in verse 39. He gives them solid evidence. The Lord doesn't say, okay, just, keep, just believe on me. Even though I know you're doubting, I'm going to help you through this, and I'm going to give you reasons to believe. He says, behold, in verse 39, behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? The Lord helped their weaknesses. And the Lord helped their doubts by showing them his hands and his feet. He invited them to touch him and to verify. It's not a ghost. All your doubtful imaginations, those aren't real. They imagined that it was a ghost that they saw. Those aren't real because I've got flesh and bone. And then to further verify that it was really him, he, that he had bodily risen from the dead, then he goes and he eats. A spirit doesn't do that. I'm telling you, that's some pretty solid evidence for their faith. Jesus helped their shaky faith by giving them some solid evidence that it was really Him. And here's the application. The Lord does the same thing with us so often. Yes, it requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. But the Lord doesn't just leave us alone to try to conjure up and build up faith for ourselves. We're prone to doubt. The Lord gives us solid evidence to put our faith in Him. Listen, I remember very well the confirmations that the Lord gave me. And I probably have used this illustration many times. I don't even know. I just know it's a, it was a life-changing thing for me. I remember the confirmations that the Lord gave me after surrendering my heart and my will to Him to move 3,000 miles from my home to North Pole, Alaska. That was a big deal in my life. Is this really what the Lord wants? Are you really telling me to do this? I'm not sure about this, but I want to believe you. And coming to a place of faith and surrender and saying, okay, all right, I, if that's what you want, I'll do it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think this is it. And right after that, I'm telling you, right after that, the Lord starts doing amazing, miraculous things that only He could do that were just for me to confirm in my own mind, in my own heart. Listen, you're on the right track. You're believing. Your faith is not, your faith is not unfounded. It's in the right place. The Lord does that sometimes with little evidences that only He can do to verify 
His will. And He does that because He wants us to grow in our relationship with Him, that we can trust Him. He gave them some solid evidence to rest their faith on. But here's the third thing, and the most important thing, actually, to me. I want you to look at verse 44. Here I find that Jesus instructs them out of His Word. In verse 44, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. In the Lord helping them through their doubt and growing them in their faith, Jesus instructs them out of His Word. I want you to note the confidence that Jesus put in the written Word of God. Just like He did with the men on the road to Emmaus. Remember the Bible says that He started at those Scriptures and He expounded unto them all things concerning Himself, how the Lord had to, the the Messiah had to be crucified and so on. He had to rise the third day. Here with the disciples again, He goes back to the Word of God. Jesus took them to the Old Testament to teach them how all of it pointed to Him and how it had to be fulfilled just as it was written. And here's the application, and here's the point that I want to make. Friend, if you are struggling with doubt in your life at some point, and you will, the one thing and the main thing that you need to do is read your Bible. What you need to do is get back to the Word of God. the promises are sure. And ask the Lord to open up your mind and open up your understanding so that you can receive truth out of His law. And remember that God made promises to us that that in God cannot lie and what He has written is so sure. And how does this apply to me? Because God has given me all things that pertain to life. In this book, all things, the times that you're going to find assurance and the times that you're going to find real peace. Listen, I'm glad the Lord does little things to bring that confidence about. And he does because he's gracious and he's kind. But what what he really wants to do is minister to us through the promises of His Word. This is where our faith is going to grow. This book is not like Shakespeare or any other book. It is a supernatural book that is alive, that speaks to the soul. And we find grace, and we find, we find it ministering to our heart. Listen, if you, if, you, if you pick up your Bible and you start to read it, and you're just like, man, this doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not finding this 
help. I would encourage you and challenge you, there's something really wrong. Like maybe you're not saved because the Spirit of God ministers peace to us through His Word. It is a powerful, powerful living book. The times that I have found where I'm doubting or where I'm down, there's lots of things that can help that and help you feel better, but the thing that makes me full of confidence and full of peace is this book. Why do people wallow and struggle in doubt and fear? It's because they're not in this book. That's really why. In those times when you're feeling those emotions and those feelings of doubt, get back into this book. Ask the Lord to open up your mind. Jesus said, he pointed them right back to scriptures. Listen, Jesus really had risen from the grave. Jesus really was standing before them just as he said. In one sense, you might be able to understand their doubts. What a roller coaster they had been on. A lot of feelings, a lot of emotions going on. But they couldn't stay there in that place. Jesus wasn't going to let them stay there in their doubt and in their fear. They had to choose to believe. They had to choose to believe the Lord here. It really is true that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It really is true that He was raised bodily from the dead. That He offers forgiveness. He offers eternal life to every sinner as a free gift. It's really important to believe the testimony that disciples as well. And we'll talk, I'm going to talk about this in just a second as I close here. When it comes to the issue of salvation. It really is true that God ministers grace and peace to His people. All of those things are really true, but you've got to choose to believe it. You've got to choose to put yourself in the place where you are going to believe the Lord. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over a couple of things. Here, I want, you to, I, want to look, I want you to look at verse 46. I'm going to make an application with this as well. I'm talking mostly to saved people today, struggling with doubts and fears, but I also want to just talk to you who are not saved. And maybe only you know that, you and God. But the Bible says in verse 46, And He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations. I told you before that that word behooved, it means necessary. Jesus saying, is saying that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. It was necessary for Him to rise from the dead. It's necessary that repentance and remission of sins 
should be preached in His name. Listen, it was necessary for Christ to die. It was necessary for Him to be buried. It was necessary for Him to rise from the grave. It's necessary that repentance is preached. Listen, it is necessary for all of those things. And I'm saying to you this morning that believing and not doubting is also necessary. Let me just make a couple applications as we close here. Some questions. Number one, are you doubting the Lord in something right now in your life? Is there something that's causing agitation in your soul? I think you need to ask the question or find out what's what's really causing it. You're experiencing it, but let's walk back and start to peel back some layers and let's find out what's really causing it. Number two, have you crossed the line from honest questions that you have about something that you're working through to just plain sinful doubting and unbelief? You've been in this place so long that maybe there were some questions that started causing some doubt, but now you kind of crossed the line. You've been in this place so long that now you're just doubting and unbelief. And here's a third question that's pretty important to consider. If you're doubting, are you doubting because you're being controlled by your feelings rather than facts and faith? You need to consider that because the disciples were having thoughts arise in their heart, doubtful imaginations, imaginations. They thought it was a ghost. They thought they were making stuff up. And how often do we do that? We say, well, what if this or what if that? And we start to imagine all of these things and it just precipitates and causes more and more doubt in our heart. And what we need to do is just get back to the Word of God and the promises of God's Word and choose that I'm going to believe what God has said. Lord, help my faith. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Circumstances can be hard. They can be really trying because it looks completely impossible. Right? But nothing's impossible with the Lord. There might be other applications that we could make, and I wouldn't be able to make them all for you. But you can. And the Lord can in your own heart and your life. Maybe someone's doubting their salvation. I don't know. If that's you this morning, whatever's causing that doubt, let's deal with it. Let's get back to the Word of God. Let's deal with it. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, did you use your word here today to encourage and challenge us in Jesus' name?